This episode of News Dump is brought to you by Upstart. Ponzi schemes are nothing new, uh, especially in Hollywood, but the one that was recently uncovered is interesting because it involved hundreds of millions of dollars, two of the biggest names in media, and the person behind it was just some complete no-name actor whose biggest role was apparently an uncredited part in Fury. Gotta start somewhere. Uh, you would assume people would be suspicious when they saw this guy's $7 million house, considering every movie he's been a part of has failed dramatically at the box office and on home video Maybe platforms. he's got a good agent. We don't know. Rich parents. Could be anything. Those residuals, they add up. Sure. But somehow, actor Zach Avery, real name Zachary Horowitz, was able to fleece a bunch of investors out of $227 million in just a few short years before he was finally arrested on Wednesday of this week for running what is one of the most, uh, one of the more prominent Ponzi schemes in recent memory, at least. Game time, curvature, hell is where the home is, the white crow, last moment of clarity. Yeah, if those don't ring a bell, those are the movies that Zach Avery has starred in, but yeah. his incredibly weak IMDb lineup didn't matter because he made his way into Hollywood. He learned the bare minimum terminology needed to launch a grift, and then he filled in the blanks for the rest of it by just name-dropping uh, huge distribution platforms like Netflix and HBO. Netflix and HBO, you say? I want in! Here's how his Ponzi scheme, going by the name One in a Million Productions, worked. The company's goal for investors was to buy up the rights for any number of films, then go around reselling the distribution rights for those films in markets outside of the United States, presumably to companies like the aforementioned HBO and Netflix. They would buy the rights for cheap, sell the distribution to these big companies, and pocket any difference as profit. And according to documents related to the federal case that was launched against Mr. Avery and his company, he promised a return on investment of at least 35%. Sounds solid, right? And you say, HBO and Netflix, why they have deep pockets? Uh, this is definitely going to work. And 35% return on investment? Let me grab my checkbook. That's uh, uh, incredible. Where do I sign? Yeah. Uh, there were some pretty obvious problems here, though. Namely, he had no relationship at all with Netflix or HBO. And in classic Ponzi scheme fashion, uh, he was taking any new investments that he was getting under these false pretenses and using that money to pay off earlier investment investments uh, to people who had justifiably gotten worried or upset and demanded some form of return. I love this shit. The Ponzi, Ponzi schemes are so good because they are doomed to fail. It's just a matter of time. Bernie Madoff managed to pull it off for like 20 years, which is pretty incredible. But the whole time he was just like, fuck. Fuck! God damn it! I got oh shit! I need new investors now. I need I need. So that's the thing is but like, like there's no end game. That's yeah. <laughs> it, so that's, there is never an end game to it. Even with Bernie Madoff and this guy here, it's like yeah, they were living in the lap of luxury while it while the grift was yeah. going on. But they're constantly putting out fires and covering up lies and like they, having yeah. to switch all this around. And it's like it's a ticking what's time. What's the trade off? There's yeah. no way it's ever going to work out in the end. So it's just a matter of like treading water as long as possible. But Ponzi schemes never end well. Yeah. Uh, so, remember when fucking uh, what was his name? One of the YouTubers that uh, got banned from YouTube and Twitch, uh, Ice Poseidon, when he was literally telling people on a stream about how he was he wasn't running a Ponzi scheme, but he was. Yeah. He was like, you see, we take all other investments to pay off the investors who yeah. already invested. He described just the textbook definition of Ponzi scheme. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that. Uh, anyways, back to this guy uh, from the New York Times. Mr. Horowitz, who went by the stage name Zach Avery, was arrested on Tuesday on wire fraud charges. He is accused of defrauding investors of at least $227 million and fabricating his company's business relationship with HBO and Netflix. With a director for the SEC's regional office in LA stating, we allege that Horowitz promised extremely high returns and made them seem plausible by invoking the names of two well-known entertainment companies and fabricating documents. 
So the prosecutors, they also got in a, a few digs at this guy's <laughs> acting career while they were at it. Yeah. Uh, they said that, quote, correspondence Mr. Horowitz had forwarded to clients which featured HBO and Netflix email addresses was as fictitious as the subject matter of his most recent film, the horror movie The Devil Below, Rotten Tomatoes critic score, 0%. <laughs> Damn. Zing. Kick a, kick a guy while he's down. I love working as a prosecutor in Los Angeles. <laughs> I get my digs in where I can. Listen, I didn't make it on the stage, but I made it in the courtroom, baby. Did anyone in The Hollywood Reporter read my, uh, my statement? Because I'm available. <laughs> Here's some headshots, by the way. Uh, uh-huh. Anyone on this jury, uh, you know, an employee of a casting office, perhaps? I no? can play a great prosecutor. <laughs> the article continues. The Ponzi scheme began to unravel when an investor wanted money refunded in 2019 and could not get it. It's possible that the company did succeed in buying international distribution rights to a handful of films, or even that it started with good intentions, but what it did not have was the relationship with HBO and Netflix that Mr. Horowitz told investors it did. It was that relationship that he said essentially guaranteed them returns of 35% or more within six months or a year. Quote, I believe that if HBO was involved, my investment was safe, one investor told the SEC. (laughs) Uh, At first, Mr. Horowitz was able to follow through on his promises in typical Ponzi scheme fashion. Earlier investors got money from newer investors, but at some point there wasn't enough money flowing in to maintain the illusion, even with the help of the Johnny Walker blue label scotch that Mr. Horowitz (laughs) sent to principal investors. Well, this guy seems shady as fuck, but I did get a really nice bottle of whiskey. It's Johnny, and it's blue label. It's blue label, by the way. That's Mm -hmm. a good one. Mm Mm-hmm. Since December 2019, one in MM. That's his company. The company. Okay. One in yeah. a million. One, yeah. yeah they, they've defaulted on more than 160 payments, according to court documents. One investor in Chicago who was owed more than $160 million Jesus in Christ. principal. What are you doing? And $59 million in profits wanted his returns and could not get them. That investor contacted authorities. Uh, well, this is embarrassing. <laughs> hey, guys. Sorry, but. You did what? <laughs> Hold on. Let me, uh, we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to connect you with our fraud department, but I need to put the phone down for a second. (laughs) This fucking idiot moron. This moron gave some random guy in LA $160 million. What a fucking, you still there? Yeah. No, I was just coughing. Yeah. Anyway. But that's the thing. Well, I mean, this, this guy's got to be rich enough to buy two Teslas because if you're putting $160 million into something where someone guarantees a 35% return. You've got to have enough money to where this isn't really a risk. You're just like, yeah, cool. I'll make a couple uh, dozen million off of this. Yeah, at a certain point when you reach that level of wealth, your diversification of investments, you get real creative with it because you're like, well, I'm all, you know, I got so many millions over in the stock market. Got in on Bitcoin a few years ago, going pretty well. Uh, Real estate, yeah. What's 160 million? Yeah, I got houses all over the place. Kind of a pain in the ass. Uh, Fuck it. Let's, Let's get in on this weird Ponzi. I mean, it seems legit. Could be a Ponzi. Who cares? It's 160 I mean, at, million. At, at some point, even if people realize that it's a Ponzi scheme, if they're in a, early enough, they're just like, I mean, yeah, I knew it was a Ponzi scheme, I, but I was one of the first investors, yeah. so I thought I'd get mine. It's the last people that get screwed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, so yeah, this actor guy, yeah, he's definitely screwed. And it looks like he might not be the only one facing charges because the one in a million company was also co-owned by two brothers who directed all the films that Zach Avery mm. starred in. Uh, and we looked into some of those films. They're all bad. Not great reviews, but one in particular stood out. A short film called The Laughing Man, which was released directly to YouTube, where it did end up going decently viral. Is this the one that's based on, like, the Reddit thread? No. The Laughing Man 
was literally a 20-minute fan film based on the death of the family story arc from Scott Snyder's Batman comics. Zach Avery, the man behind a Ponzi scheme that stole over $200 million from wealthy investors, he, of course, played the Joker in that film. I'm the Joker, baby. (laughs) Life really does imitate art. Hashtag damage. I'm going to set all this money on fire. Yeah. Wow. He kind of did, but in a way that was uh, very good to him. Yeah, he got to keep a lot of it for a while. For a while. But uh, now the villain arc really... I'm the Joker, baby. (laughs) We do live in a society. Anyway, as far as grifts go, convincing a bunch of people that they can get rich off of, like, Netflix just seemingly throwing money at anyone uh, and anything that is brought to them, it seems pretty easy and believable, I guess. Last week we spoke about Netflix reportedly dropping $400 million on the rights to the Knives Out sequels, and this very real spending spree continues this week as it was announced that uh, Netflix is collaborating with Sony for distribution rights to Sony films after they leave theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, we'd like to thank Sony for not wasting the time, money, and energy by attempting to develop yet another brand-exclusive streaming service. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I, I think they, the whole like PlayStation View thing was such a bad experience for everyone there. They're like, nah. Yeah, so that was that, though, PlayStation View. It, was like a, it wasn't like Sony Plus. It was like a competitor to Sling and Hulu. It had on-demand programming as well, but also for the first year, you had to literally own a PlayStation, and then finally they're like, wait a second. There's a lot more people that don't own PlayStations. What are we doing? And I had it. It was a decent service as far as, like, compared to Sling at the time and Hulu at the time. So uh, it was good, but I I think they they learned their lesson, and they were just like, "Uh, we're going to take the easy way out and not launch something like Sony Plus. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. So... Still, though, this is a huge deal financially and otherwise. According to people familiar with the deal between Netflix and Sony, Netflix is paying several hundred million dollars annually and more than one billion dollars over the course of the agreement. Wow. And, uh, yeah, the the deal includes the Spider-Man films, apparently. So that means those films would be coming straight to Netflix after their theatrical runs. Eat my shit, Disney. (laughs) You can't have them. And guess what? We're putting them on Netflix. We're not even going to put them on a Sony Plus or anything. Yeah. Uh, Here's some additional info from the Wall Street Journal. The deal will start with Sony Pictures' 2022 movie slate. As part of the pact, Netflix will have a first-look option to pick up movies Sony is making or licensing specifically for streaming platforms. Netflix has committed to ordering an undisclosed number of those films, the streaming giant said. Among the releases that will land on Netflix after their theatrical runs are future Spider-Man movies and other films based on Marvel characters that Sony has the rights to, including Morbius and Venom. Netflix will also license older movies from Sony's library. And based on some recent numbers regarding Netflix's market share, locking down deals like this with content and characters that are already well-known and beloved is going to be pretty important because the slew of new streaming services popping up, it's actually having a pretty massive effect on Netflix's subscriber numbers. According to data acquired by The Wrap, Netflix does still dominate the streaming universe in the U.S., but, quote, while Netflix holds 20% of the U.S. streaming market, its dominance over the rest of the streaming landscape has shrunk from 29%, a drop of nearly one-third as more services enter the market. And there's a bunch of reasons why we think this is happening, but the simple answer is just that people have a lot more options now. Yeah. Uh, and also, Netflix, they used to just have everything. If you wanted to stream something, you knew where to find it. It was on Netflix. Netflix, uh, in the past decade, has invested massively in developing its own content for years uh, in anticipation for this market move. Um, so while Netflix does still make some great content, it is, it's a lot to sit through these days. Every time I open it up, it's just a bunch of crap on screen that I have no interest in. It's weird. It's like I've been, I've been using Netflix for literally 20 years. I was like, they should very, know by now. I was yeah. a very early adopter of like the fucking mail DVD program. 
And it's just, it's weird to me that they're still recommending me crap that I obviously have no interest in. Yeah, and there's good like, stuff that like pops up every once in a while, but uh, I don't know. It's, it's, there's reasons why people are instead looking at stuff like Disney Plus and HBO yeah, Max. HBO Max is great. The new uh, that QAnon uh, documentary, very yeah, good. Very but good. Uh, needless to say, uh, bringing in well-known IP from Sony, especially stuff that's technically Marvel, it should help. Spider-Man is the most popular superhero in the world. Mm-hmm. People forget this. That might actually that might not be true anymore, but before the Avengers exploded, Spider-Man was like historically the most popular superhero yeah. globally. I feel bad for uh I don't feel bad. I hope the movie it doesn't do well because I don't like Jared Leto anymore. Yeah. But uh, that Morbius movie just seems like a big waste of time. It does. Yeah. I liked Venom though. Venom, great movie. Yeah, where's Venom too? Hopefully soon. Anyways, got a bunch of news coming up for you, but including our weekly How Did Warner Brothers Screw Up This Time segment. Yeah, it's a weekly segment da, now. Da, 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 da. Uh, uh, and also some updates to other stories that we reported on recently. But first, let's take a quick second to thank Upstart for sponsoring today's episode. When it comes to paying off debt, it can often feel like an uphill battle. High interest rates resulting in minimum monthly payments keeps you in an endless cycle of debt. Upstart can help you get ahead. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan, all online. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high-interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple, fixed monthly payment. Unlike other lenders, Upstart looks at more than just your credit score, like your income and employment history. This means they can offer smarter rates with trusted partners. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate upfront for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. You can receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting the loan. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash newsdump. That is upstart.com slash newsdump. Uh, don't forget to use our URL so that they know that you that we sent you. Uh, loan amounts, of course, will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. That's the fine print. Go to upstart.com slash newsdump to check it out now. Yeah, Upstart, much more legit than uh, starting your own Ponzi scheme. Uh, you'll, you'll get caught eventually, <laughs> and it's not going to work out well. Just uh, yeah, there you upstart. go. Anyway, before we get into the more serious stuff regarding Warner Brothers, can we just take a very brief moment to talk about how terrible Space Jam 2 looks? Oh, it's it's an abomination. I was so excited to watch this trailer. Yeah, so this is bonkers. It looks like the company looked at Ready Player One and just said, yeah, that rules. Let's do that again, but in the Space Jam universe. There's literally every property that Warner Brothers owns in just the trailer. Like, yeah. the movie is going to be a mess. There's like Game of Thrones is in it. Harry yeah, Potter's in the it. A Clockwork Orange is it. It's, it's, it's a yeah. real, yeah. It's a shotgun blast of Warner IP directly onto the screen, directly into your retinas, including some very, very weird character choices and just an overall weird vibe to the entire thing. Mm-hmm. I don't understand exactly what went on during the creative process making this film, but it looks horrible. It looks just, it's too much. Yeah. It's too much. It's, it's supposed to be a movie about basketball and Looney Tunes. <laughs> And they, how do you screw it up? <laughs> Literally, how do you screw it up? The NBA? LeBron James? Yeah. The Looney Tunes? Come on. Anyway, we can't get too mad at this. I mean, the movie's literally made for children, so maybe it'll them it'll open their eyes to classic characters like the Droogs from Stanley Kubrick's <laughs> A Clockwork Orange. Hey, Every kids, child's favorite. A little bit of the old ultraviolence. That means rape. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> and they took Pepe Le Pew out, and they, they were like, you know what we could replace Pepe Le Pew with? Clockwork Orange characters. And the the original plot line for Pepe in this movie that was apparently... Pepe, Pepe the skunk, not the frog. Yeah, yeah. But the original, apparently it, it exists. And from the, what I've heard of it, it sounds legit. It's basically like Pepe being a, a rapey creep. And then LeBron's like, hey, man, 
It's not how you get girls. You got to respect women. And he, he uh, changes Pepe Le Pew. Release the LeBron cut. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. the Pepe Le Pew cut. Anyway, you really got to see this trailer to believe it, and we can't show it to you. So we'll leave the link down in the description because, damn. Yeah. This is, is going to be one that you're going to, like, p- press pause a lot in and just, you know. Did you see it? Did you see it? There's hey, like, look at that. Did there's movies it? where it's like, ah, that's that looks like shit, but maybe it'll be good. This one, I'm just like, I, I don't think I'll even watch this. This trailer was literally designed so that people with red circles can draw them over stills. And yeah, be, I like, guess so. With a little red arrow being like. Like, yeah, we got that. a lot of views on our Ready Player One trailer because people paused it and rewatched it a million times trying to spot Easter eggs. What if we just did that, but, like, twice as much? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, over to the never-ending Justice League stories that just keep unfolding. Uh, and this week, we got a pretty terrible inside look at the making of that film under the guidance of persona non grata Joss Whedon. A real jerk. Yeah. Just, he gets worse by the day. Yeah. Uh, cyborg actor Ray Fisher recently gave an interview to The Hollywood Reporter where he told them about what his experience was like after the movie had switched hands, and even before and during. Uh, and also what it was like with Warner Media and AT&T execs watching their every move. Uh, Here are some of the more notable excerpts from that interview. Whedon sent out an email asking for questions, comments, or fulsome praise, but Fisher says it became clear. All he was looking for was the fulsome praise. Trying to strike a jocular tone, Fisher responded that he mourned the loss of the cyborg material but was moving on. He said he had notes to avoid issues in terms of representation of the character, but in a call with Whedon, Fisher says he had barely started to talk when the filmmaker cut him off. Feels like I'm taking notes right now, and I don't like taking notes from anybody, not even Robert Downey Jr., he said. Other sources on this project say Whedon was similarly dismissive of Gadot and Momoa when they questioned new lines. So he goes on to talk about how this movie was uh, obviously being made during the acquisition of Time Warner by AT&T, and that the stress of that added to the calamity of filming and to the reshoots. And this next story is is, is just the perfect, like, fucked-up representation of weirdo corporate culture. Got it. Yeah, this... <laughs> Warners had not been able to match Disney's consistent success with Marvel movies. Fisher felt that some of the studio executives' decision-making was driven by fear of losing their jobs. Yeah. <laughs> the tension only escalated when the issue of having Cyborg say, Booyah! arose. That phrase had become a signature of the character thanks to the animated Teen Titans shows, but the character had never said it in the comics or in the original script. Fisher says that Jeff Johns had approached Snyder about including the line, but the director didn't want any catchphrases. He managed the situation by putting the word on some signs in his version of the film as an Easter egg. But Johns' rep said the entire studio believed the Booyah line was a fun moment of synergy. Say the line, Ray! Yes. It continues. Fisher says he doesn't see the word in itself as an issue, but he thought it played differently in a live-action film than the animated series, and he thought of black characters in pop culture with defining phrases. Gary Coleman's What You Talk About Willis, Jimmy Walker's Dynamite. As no one else in the film had a catchphrase, he said, quote, It seemed weird to have the only black character say that. With reshoots underway, Fisher says we didn't raise the issue again. Quote, Jeff tells me Cyborg has a catchphrase, he told him. Fisher says he expressed his objections, and it seemed the matter was dropped until Berg, the co-chairman of DC Films and a producer on the project, took him to dinner. Quote, This is one of the most expensive movies Warners has ever made, Berg said, according to Fisher. What if the CEO of AT&T has a son or a daughter? That son or daughter wants Cyborg to say booyah in the film. And we don't have a take of that. I could lose my job, Ray. Fisher responded that he knew if he filmed the line, it would end up in the movie, and he expressed skepticism that the film's fate rested on Cyborg saying booyah. But he shot the take. As he arrived on set, he says, Whedon stretched out his arms and said a line from Hamlet in a mocking tone. Speak the speech, I pray you, as I pronounced it to you. 
Fister replied, Joss, don't. I'm not in the mood. As he left the set after saying just that one phrase for the cameras, he said Whedon called out, nice work, Ray. Just insane. You know, Say the line. Be a real shame if the son or daughter that I've just made up of any AT&T executive really wanted Cyborg to say booyah in this film. And Where's that, the booyah? And that child alone got all of us fired because they were like, Daddy didn't say the line. Yeah, fucking studio, Hollywood studio executive culture is bonkers. In a way, maybe no other industry. Maybe like tech, I guess like tech at the high levels, like Facebook and Amazon. We said this before too, like a company where everyone is scared of losing their jobs is not going to produce anything of quality. But it's uh, all these people, all these lifers in the on the money side of Hollywood are psychos. Well, there was a great article in, uh, I believe, the Hollywood Reporter this week about um, Jeff Rudin or Scott Scott Rudin, this producer who's been producing like big projects for years, uh, and he's a fucking psychopath. Like he abuses literally, like physically and emotionally abuses all of his employees and has for years, but no one has ever spoken up about it until now because like he will fucking ruin your life. You, well, you so that's the thing with, with literally like anyone in a position of power, they're in that position of power because they are addicted to power yeah. and they have a certain mental, let's call it capability that allows them to not give a fuck about anything. Yeah, it's just, it's weird. I don't experience uh, fear, shame, uh, empathy, empathy. I, I'm just really cut out of this business. It's one of my superpowers. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyways, there's so much more to this story. Uh, it's very it's very long and very uh, intricate. So if you have the time, uh, of course, the link is below. You should go read the whole thing. But it does go into uh, uh, the treatment of other actors like Gal Gadot and Jason Momoa that they received. Uh, it all seems like a nightmare. And the interview ends with Fisher commenting on the executive team uh, at uh, Warner Media, AT&T, whatever, saying, I don't believe some of these people are fit for positions of leadership. I don't want them excommunicated from Hollywood, but I don't think they should be in charge of the hiring and firing of other people. If I can't get accountability, he says, at least I can make people aware of who they're dealing with. I mean, props to this guy because, I mean... He's risking his career by coming yeah, out of this thing because he, he could be blacklisted and, for all of this. And this was the biggest project he'd ever done. I mean, he's been around for a while, but obviously he does not have the clout and to he, really be doing this, but he's doing it anyway. I mean, it, it goes into it in here, but, like, he kind of did get the cold shoulder from Warner on a lot of very serious problems. Yeah. And he started going public with it, and things got worse. So, it sucks. Um, but, yeah, let, let's go through some updates to stories that we've uh, covered recently. Uh, starting with the lawsuit from Nike against Lil Nas X and Mischief regarding those Satan shoes, which were customized Nike Air Maxes, complete with a drop of real human bl- human blood and limited to 666 pairs. Spooky. Basically, it looks like Nike got to convince the public that they actually cared about this, uh, but then they just kind of let it slide in the end because Mischief says they are pleased with the terms of the settlement. Uh, if Nike had taken them for any substantial amount of money, they probably would have dragged this out in court and maybe even won, uh, but they just settled and moved on. Yeah. Uh, one stipulation being that anyone who wanted to return those shoes and get their money back, they could get a full refund. Oh, great. Which absolutely is not going to happen, especially <laughs> with all the added value thanks to the coverage and the outrage of the lawsuit. Yeah, these things are, you they're getting flipped for a lot more than the initial cost. Yeah. Uh, in a statement to The Verge, Mischief said, quote, Having already achieved its artistic purpose, Mischief recognized that settlement was the best way to allow it to put this lawsuit behind it so that it could dedicate its time to new artistic and expressive projects. 
And uh, by the way, yeah, we checked StockX and eBay. It looks like these shoes are now worth at least $2,500 based on auctions that are ending today or tomorrow. So uh, would yeah, be pretty dang dumb <laughs> to take the refund option if anyone out there was actually going to do that for some reason. I don't think anyone is. But uh, yeah, it's. I mean, there's a bunch on like eBay for like $17,000 and it's like, all right. Ending soonest auction, yeah. and it's, you get a better idea of what they're actually going for. But uh, yeah, the guy from Chicago should have bought some Lil Nas X shoes instead of investing it in uh, Invest, one in a million yeah. productions. I mean, sneakers are a much safer investment than Hollywood. They seem to be. Oh, they uh, the 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 slogan for that one in a million uh, productions company was "You can be that one." Something like that. Anyways. Now over to all gas, no brakes news. And, uh, you know, the whole falling out between the now ex-hosts of that YouTube series, Andrew Callahan, his crew, and the company who owned all the rights to the show, Doing Things Media. Uh, if for some reason you're not caught up on all, all this, uh, we'll leave a link to our previous video covering it down below. But the quick version is that this company actually owned the rights to the show. Andrew and his crew were getting kind of screwed because of that. They wanted contract renegotiation. Things went south real quick, and the crew was fired. But uh, here's some good news. Yeah. The show is back under a different name for legal reasons. Yeah. But looking exactly the same. Yeah. Only this time they own the content and they're charging for full episodes while uploading clips to Instagram. Yeah. No word yet on expanding to YouTube, but the guys might run into some headaches there because they've decided to name their new venture Channel 5, which is a name that already exists in the world of entertainment, uh, specifically a very popular public channel in the UK. I thought it was Channel 4. There's more than that. There's wow. also How channel many channels five. are there? So yeah, the whole Channel 5 branding thing is, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. But whatever, the content is what matters most. And they've already got a new episode up on their Patreon page, which we've linked below. Uh, here's the announcement regarding this launch from their Patreon. From the crew that brought you All Gas, No Breaks, we are so excited to have you back to witness the genesis of Channel 5, a completely independent digital journalism experience brought to you by Andrew Callahan, Nick Mosier, and Evan Gilbert Katz. A few months ago, we lost our platform, Patreon page, and primary source of income due to a contract dispute, which is detailed in this New York Times article by Taylor Lorenz. However, this was only a minor setback. Using the money we've saved over the years, we've purchased a set, new camera equipment, and once again have hit the road. We will be committed to traversing the country and bringing you the rawest reportage of cultural happenings and major news events for the remainder of 2021 and beyond. So that's great news. Yeah. Although we hope that eventually they do end up putting their videos onto YouTube after enough time has passed for paid subscribers or whatever, because it will allow them to continue to grow and will expose their content to people who wouldn't otherwise know about their backstory or their Patreon page. But yeah. Yeah. All Gas No Breaks is now Channel 5. <laughs> uh, links to their Instagram and Patreon below. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, though, check out our most recent videos. We have a brand new episode of Tech News Day about how literally everyone on Facebook had all of their details leaked. Um, big oopsie. Facebook's like, well, you should have thought of that before you signed up for a free service. Yeah. Uh, and of course, uh, an episode on uh, the, the latest now outdated happenings with uh, COVID-19. Uh, like with most things you report on, it got worse. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but check both those videos out over there and we'll see you very soon for a new episode of Weekly Weird News. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.